So you probably never had this happen, but maybe some of you will be able to relate to this. Have you ever said something to somebody, and as soon as it's out of your mouth, you just want to grab it and bring it back before it gets to their ears? Have you ever done that? You, you realize you said the wrong thing at the wrong time, or you, you let your emotions get control, and you said something you shouldn't have said, or, or something like that. Sometimes you don't notice it before it hits their ears. You, you don't even realize it until two or three hours later. You get home, and you, you get calmed down, and you start thinking about it, and you go, man, I should not have said that. I wish I hadn't said that. And the problem, of course, is you can apologize and you could try to explain and all that, but a lot of times you can't really unspill the milk, right? You've made an impact and, and, and words can, can really hurt. And you realize that you've made a, a big mistake because of what came out of your mouth. Now, there's another side to that coin too. Have you ever had this happen to you? You were in a situation where, where God just seemed to bring somebody into your life who spoke the very words you needed to hear in that very moment. Have you ever had that happen? And you, or you, you were hurting, you messed up, and you felt guilty, and what you needed was to be encouraged, not condemned, and somebody came with an encouraging word. Or, or maybe you were, you were struggling with a challenge, and somebody came with some wisdom and just spoke exactly what you needed to hear, and the light came on, and you went, oh my gosh, that helps so much. Or maybe somebody just told you that they loved you at a time when you really needed to know that you were loved. You know, those kinds of things, positive, impactful words, they change lives too. Some of us have memories of a person who said something to us once a very long time ago, and it's still having a positive impact on our lives, or it's still having a negative impact on our lives. And so our words are powerful, and we're going to be talking a lot about words today. Because we're in the book of Ephesians, and we've been, we've been going verse by verse through this book, and we've seen as Paul has been unfolding for us this incredible picture of the grace of God. We're seeing this amazing, joyful story about how much he loves us, even though we don't do anything to deserve his love, and how he gives us worth, and he gives us value, and he takes those of us who are spiritually orphans, and he adopts us as his sons and daughters. And we've just been seeing this grace unfold, and it's by grace through faith that you're saved. And we've seen all of that in the early chapters of Ephesians. And we got to chapter 4, and he started getting very specific about some things that need to change in our lives, right? And now we're coming to verse 29 of chapter 4 today. So if you're not there already and you have a Bible, turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. By now, I think a lot of you, your Bible should be falling open to the book of Ephesians because we've been at this for several months. But in Ephesians chapter 4, he's going to just continue in this extremely practical approach where he has said to us, essentially, it is time for you to grow up. God has done all these wonderful things. He has made you a new creation. Now you need to start living like that's true. And he's speaking, of course, to Christians here. And that's real important for us to understand. Because if today you're here and you're just investigating Christianity, you're not so sure about Jesus and his claims and not really sure how, what you think of the Bible and all that kind of stuff, then, then you need to understand that a lot of what we're talking about here is not going to make any sense in your life because the very power that it takes to live this way comes from that grace that changes our lives that he talked about in those first three chapters, right? So, but for those of us who know Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit living within us and that Holy Spirit enables us, empowers us, strengthens us, makes it possible for us to actually walk like spiritual grown-ups. 
And basically what he's saying is, it's not okay to just remain a child forever. If you're a parent and you had a child and, and he was the same maturity, size, strength, and everything at the age of 12 as he had been at two, would you think there was something wrong with him? And yet, as Christians, we have this idea that, you know, I just need to become a Christian, get my, get my ticket punched for heaven, and once I got that covered, then, you know, I'll wait to get to heaven, and I'm sure God will do something great in me there. And yet, when you read the Bible, that is not what he says. He goes, I haven't just saved you just for heaven. I've actually saved you for here, too. And I have a life in store for you that is beyond your wildest imagination. But to live that life, you're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to take me at my word. You're going to have to actually apply the things that I tell you. So that's what he's given us. And, and he gets incredibly practical about this issue of words in verse 29 of Ephesians 4. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Here's the thing. If you're going to be in a new kingdom, you're going to need to learn a new language. That's pretty much that simple. He's saying, I've taken you from the kingdom of darkness and I've placed you in the kingdom of light. And there are certain noticeable differences between those kingdoms. And one of those actually has to do with what comes out of our mouth. He's saying, if you're going to live in a new kingdom or even operate in a new kingdom, you're going to have to learn a new language. And here's the thing. You can fake it, but it shows. Now, I don't know if you all know this, but I speak Spanish pretty fluently and have spoken Spanish for decades. And, and um, you know, in my young adulthood, I spoke as much Spanish as I do English because my job required it and, and I spoke Spanish every day and, I, and I, I thought in Spanish and I dreamed in Spanish half the time. And, you know, that's, that's what happens when you have a certain level of fluency. I used it all the time. But I hardly ever use it anymore. Just now when I meet somebody who doesn't speak English and only speaks Spanish, then I speak Spanish and I get all excited because I get a chance to practice and then I realize how much practice I need, right? I'm stumbling all over myself. But even when I was a really good Spanish speaker, I still messed it up. And people could tell. I'll never forget the first time I went to a Spanish-speaking country to minister, I went to El Salvador. And I'm there in El Salvador, and I'm, and I'm preaching in Spanish, and I'm doing street witnessing, and I'm ministering to people, and we're building a building, and we're doing all this kind of stuff, and, and I'm pretty much just living in Spanish this whole time. And while I'm down there, um, my, my muscles are getting sore because, you know, I am a guy who sits behind a desk, and we were building a building, not a block wall. And so I was sore. And I was... I was going to use that as an illustration in a sermon, and so I asked one of the Spanish-speaking guys I was with, I wanted to know, how do you say muscle? Because for the life of me, I could not remember the word musculo, which is the Spanish word for muscle. I just couldn't remember. And so I, I was trying to get my point across. He didn't speak any English, and so I was pointing at muscles, which, you know, he wouldn't know what I was pointing at, you know? <laughs> but I was pointing, trying to help him to see the muscles, and he goes, oh, popeye. And I said, aha, okay, good. So... The rest of the time, every time someone asked me how I was doing, I was telling them about how sore my popeyes were and how I, and I was going on and on until finally, uh, and I preached about it and everything. And finally, somebody said to me, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means, <laughs> right? And I, and I said, I said, I said, popeye, I asked the guy, he said, muscle, popeye. And he goes, no, popeye is Popeye, 
right? I was pointing at my arm. They thought I was talking about Popeye. So I'm, I'm all over El Salvador telling everybody that I'm Popeye or something. And, and my cover was blown. Like if they looked at me, of course I look Hispanic, right? So they probably look at me and thought I was Hispanic, but as soon as they heard the way that I talked, they, I blew it, right? If you can, you can fool some of the people some of the time, right? But the truth of the matter is, if you don't really have the change on the inside, what comes out of your mouth is eventually going to show it. And, and a lot of us live with that reality all of the time. As we grow in Christ, our maturity should show up in the way we talk. People should be able to tell. There should be a difference between people who, um, who know Jesus and people who don't in terms of what comes out of their mouth. And so let me just ask you to just get personal with yourself and ask yourself this question. Does what comes out of my mouth draw people to Jesus or does it ever repel people from Jesus? Does what comes out of my mouth honor Jesus or does it sometimes dishonor Jesus? What comes out of my mouth uh, do I want it to be associated with Jesus? Or would I like a little time out where I don't have to be seen as a Christian because of what I'm about to say or what I just said? Now, we all know that there are certain bad words. I'm not here to give you a list of bad words. I think you're all smart enough to know that there are certain profane words, and we're not supposed to use profanity, and that's a given. That's obvious. You don't need me to stand here and preach to you about that, right? And by the way, it's interesting. He doesn't give us any words and say, now, don't use those words, right? I could hand you a list of 50 words you should not use because you're a Christian. The problem is that in a generation, those words change, don't they? I mean, there were words that I used to get my mouth washed out with soap for when I was a kid that are not even considered offensive today. And there are other words that didn't used to be offensive, and now they're completely offensive because of the way that they're being used. So I can't even give you a list of words and go, watch out, don't use those words. What I can give you is a principle. And the principle is that you and God, if you're a Christian, have become one, and so whatever comes out of your mouth reflects upon him. And he gives us a principle. He says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. It's, it's not just about the words that come out, whether they're bad or not. It's about the opportunity to do good with the words that come out. Look at what it says again. Go to verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Okay, that's a given. But only such a word as is good for edification. That means building up according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. You realize that people have needs that can be met by the words that you use? And that people have needs that can be um, passed over because the words you didn't use. And it's not just about choosing your words carefully. It's also about choosing your timing carefully, isn't it? How many know that there are some things that are true and accurate and right, but it's not always the right time to say them, right? 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 Their timing is important. I was talking about this with a pastor friend recently, and every pastor I know just sort of laughs when you bring this up because it's true for all of us. And, and here's what it is. When you're a pastor and it's Sunday morning and, and you're getting ready, you've probably come in real early. You've spent a lot of time in prayer. You've been preparing your spirit. You've been going over your notes and making changes and preparations. You've been doing all kinds of stuff that needs to be done. You're really sort of focused. And, and 
And inevitably, what will happen from time to time is that somebody will come up to you three minutes before the service is about to begin and go, hey, listen, I've been meaning to talk to you. The toilet paper in the ladies' room is just not soft enough. If we could just, you know, and you go, wow, that's great. That may be true, but I don't care. <laughs> this is not the time to talk to me about that, right? Or, for instance, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching this sermon right now. You may be sitting there going, man, I totally disagree with that point that he just made. Well, do me a favor. Keep it to yourself. I don't need you to stand up in the middle of my sermon and lecture me about how I got something wrong. There used to be a lady in our church so long ago that none of you would know who this is. There used to be a lady in our church, and um, I, I was a brand new pastor. This is 25 years ago. I was brand new, and I was clueless, and I was up there trying to convince everybody that I knew what I was talking about when I was preaching, and I was just, just treading water. And this lady was really smart and really educated. And at the end of my sermon, inevitably, she would walk up to me at the end of the sermon when everybody else is greeting me and stuff, and she would hand me a piece of paper. And I always knew that in that piece of paper was going to be two or three things that she wanted to, you know, hey, you mispronounced this Greek word. Or, or you know, hey, you forgot to mention, you know, Colossians 2. And, that, and every time that, and I thought, you know, I really actually appreciate the input. I just don't need it 30 seconds after I just finished preaching, Right? So there are things that need to be said, and yet we need to choose the timing correctly. And, and so he's saying, we need to not only watch that nothing bad comes out of our mouth, but we need to make sure that what we do say is according to the need of the moment, that it might bring a blessing to others. It's according to their needs. Listen, what comes out of your mouth should not be nearly so much about what you want to say as it is about what they need to hear. So if we could keep that straight, we'd probably get it right. One sign of Christian maturity is when you are aware of the need of the moment and self-controlled enough to say what's appropriate in that moment and save what's not appropriate for another time. It's a sign that you're in the right kingdom. So one thing's for sure. People draw conclusions about you and they draw conclusions about God based on what comes out of your mouth. And I'm just going to give you an example of this from Scripture in a story that we're probably all familiar with. So I want you to go to uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 26. First book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, toward the back of Matthew is chapter 26. And I'm going to set the stage for you as you're turning there. We're going to Matthew 26, the end of the chapter. Now, what's happened is Jesus has been arrested. He's, uh, he's already predicted that Peter will deny him three times before sunrise. And Peter's been following at a distance, and Jesus is now in being tried, and Peter is sitting in the courtyard warming himself by the fire, and we all know what happens. There's somebody who comes to him and says, hey, aren't you one of those followers of Jesus? And of course, he denies him, right? He says, I don't even know this guy. And then somebody else comes and goes, no, wait a second, I think I've seen you with him. You are one of those followers of Jesus, but he's scared and he doesn't want to get crucified. And he says, you know what? I'm telling you, I never knew him. Now look at verse 73 of Matthew chapter 26. A little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, surely you two are one of them. For even the way you talk gives you away. Now he's talking about his accent. He was from Galilee, and so he had a regional accent, and all of these disciples of Jesus were from Galilee, and so they recognized him by his accent, and they're saying, don't try to pretend that you're not one of his followers. We can tell by the way you talk. Now, that's obviously not the point of the passage. 
I'm just trying to illustrate this. So he says, um, we can tell by the way you talk. Your talk gives you away. But look at verse 74. He's still trying to prove to them that he's not one of the followers of Jesus. So look at verse 74. Then he began to curse and swear. I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. So it's as if his last defense to say, don't consider me a follower of Jesus was to use foul language. He decides, I'm going to show them that I'm not a follower of Jesus. I'm going to curse and swear, and I'm going to deny that I know him. And I, I suppose that they probably shrugged their shoulders and went, oh, gosh, I guess not. Maybe you're just a fisherman and not a fisher of men. We thought you were one of those guys. And his talk gives him away. I just wonder whether or not our talk gives us away. I just wonder whether or not when people hear us and they, they see the things that come out of our mouth and perhaps more tellingly, the things that don't come out of our mouths at the inappropriate time. And I wonder if they go, huh, I wonder if that guy's a follower of Jesus. You just tell by the way he talks. People draw conclusions about you. And they're going to draw conclusions about God based on what you say. Now, some of you I know um, are already thinking, you know, Pastor, I'm sure you mean well, but you live in kind of a bubble. Like, you, you talk about you don't use profanity and all this kind of stuff. We live out in this world. If you had my job, just imagine this. Imagine that you are a Marine Corps drill sergeant, right? And your pastor standing up there going, now, don't let any bad words come out of your mouth. And you're going, dude, you know nothing about my job. Because, you know, I have to get these guys. They come in wet behind the ears and clueless and scared, and they don't know what to do, and I have to whip them into shape and make men out of them, and I've got to make them strong, and so I use salty language because that's what it takes in order to get it done. And honestly, I've never been in the military, but I've seen enough movies to go, I can't even imagine a drill sergeant who doesn't use foul language. I can't even picture what that would be like. And so maybe if that's your argument, I go, well... I guess I understand that. Or maybe you go, you know what, I'm a, I'm a construction worker. And, and, you know, on our job site, I'm the foreman. I got to get these guys to do what I want them to do. But I'm telling you, if you don't use foul language or you don't get loud and you don't yell at people and call them names, you're not going to get their respect and you're not going to get control of them. So, Pastor, I'm sure that in your little office filled with Bibles, you can keep your mouth clean. But where I live, that's hard. Maybe you're a, a student. This blows my mind. Every time I go on a high school campus these days, I just, I just can't get over the fact that everybody uses such profanity all the time. Just like every phrase is filled with profanity, not just the guys, but also the girls. And I'm just like, wow, this, this, this has changed so much since the days when I was in high school. Maybe you go, listen, I'm a high school student, and I'm, I'll just be honest with you, Pastor. This is just our language. We don't even think twice about it. These words just come out. We don't mean anything by it. It's just our language. Maybe you're a parent, and you go, these kids get on my last nerve. I am going to say some things, because if I don't, they're not going to know I'm serious. I don't know what your story is, but all of those things make sense to me. In all those cases, I go, yeah, I can see why that would be hard. But let me just push back a little bit. Let me just remind you that we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four accounts of Jesus' public life. And in all of those accounts, we see Jesus 
dealing with all kinds of people, right? We see him dealing with profane people all the time. We see him dealing with extremely tense situations, some of which are life and death. We see him dealing with situations where the message that he has to get across is so important that if he doesn't get it across, somebody will pay a dear price, right? We see this over and over with Jesus. The one thing we don't see is Jesus ever speaking in a way that dishonors God or dishonors people. You never see it. You go, no, wait a second. How about when he was when he called the Pharisees a bunch of vipers. Remember that? I mean, that's not exactly being nice, is it? Well, they needed to hear that. It was according to the need of the moment. It was according to their need, not according to his frustration, not according to his anger, not according to what he just wanted to get off his chest, but always according to their need. So we need to realize that What Jesus is calling us to do is not something that's impossible. This this thing, some of you are going, you know, Pastor, really, we're going to spend a whole sermon telling us not to use bad words? I mean, shouldn't this be like seven-year-old Sunday school class? Well, I don't know. Maybe if we'd all got it in seven-year-old Sunday school class, we wouldn't need it today. I'm not sure. But my concern is this. I'm afraid that some of us just shrug our shoulders about this and don't take it seriously. And it's important that we understand that when we read our Bibles, God does take it seriously. And I want you to come away today understanding this, that if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you have the Holy Spirit in your heart, that it is possible for you to actually get your mouth under control. It is possible. Some of us just feel like, oh, I don't know, I can never even see that happening. Look, I know it's hard, but it is possible. It is possible to hold your tongue when somebody has just said something really hurtful to you and you have a great zinger to hit them back with. It is possible. It is possible to change the words that you use so that they lift people up rather than tear them down. It is possible. In fact, that's really the theme of the last part of chapter 4 of Ephesians is that it is possible to live this abundant life that the scripture describes for us. Sometimes it seems like living for the glory of God and obeying his commands is just beyond us. It's impossible for us. But Paul wants us to know that for every person who is bought by the blood of Jesus, every person who is in a personal relationship with Christ, every person who is filled with the Holy Spirit and one with the Lord because of that, if that is true for you, it is never impossible for you to obey God. Obedience is always possible. Living above your circumstances for the Christian is always possible. There is never a moment in which you have to give in to the temptation that you are facing. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to show you this in Scripture. I want you to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, this verse, by the way, I I refer to this verse a lot. And if you haven't already done so, you should highlight it, circle it, underline it, star it, whatever it is you do in your Bible, and I suggest you memorize it. Here's what it says, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. If you're a Christian, he says, Temptation is going to keep coming your way. And the enemy was going to want you to believe 
that there are just times you just can't resist the temptation. And he's saying, I want you to know that if you're a Christian, there is never a moment when God does not give you the power through the Holy Spirit to resist whatever temptation is coming. If the temptation is to shoot off your mouth, there is always a way of escape. And, and by the way, he doesn't take away the temptation, does he? It says there's a lot of temptation coming your way, but just remember, God is faithful. And he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able so that you will be able to endure it when he gives you this way of escape. It's, you're going to have to endure temptation. It's going to come. But because you're a Christian, because the Holy Spirit is alive in your life, there's never a time when you have to give in to temptation. You can live the abundant life. So don't for a second, when we're looking at these passages in Ephesians, and he's talking about all these practical things and saying, live this way, live this way. Don't for a second go, you know what? I just can't. I'm just not mature enough. I don't, I'm not strong enough. Let me just tell you something. It's not about you. It's about the Lord that lives in you and what he is able to do. And so obedience is always possible. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's get back to the issue of your tongue. It says in Ephesians 4, let no um, unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. And I just want to spend a second on that because that word unwholesome, I don't think we quite get it. When we think of wholesome, I don't know what you think of, a, a kid drinking milk or like, um, you know, a real clean cut guy in the 50s or something, that's wholesome. I don't know what you think of, but when he uses the word unwholesome here, um, there's, a, there's a Greek word that he's using there, and that Greek word is sapros. Now, sapros is a very specific word. It doesn't just mean like unwholesome. It means um, putrid. It, it, means, um, it means rotten. It means spoiled. It means it stinks to high heaven. It means it is no longer useful for any good thing. That's the idea of that Greek word sapros. Let no sapros word proceed from your mouth. A word, let nothing come out of your mouth that makes everything worse. Now, when I was young, I used to go golfing with my dad and my brother. And one day, my dad, my older brother, my cousin and I were out on the golf course. My dad and I are in one cart. My brother and my cousin are in another cart. And they hit their ball over there by the water. And we hit our balls over here. So my, my, they go over looking for their ball. And um, what we don't know, because we're over here, is that while looking for their ball on the side of the lake, they see a dead fish that is washed up on the side of the lake. So what they did was they took a little golf club and they picked up that dead fish, put it in their cart, and then they carried, carried, took it over to when my dad was over here looking for his ball, which he does a lot. And he's over there looking for his ball, and they took that fish and dropped it in his golf bag. Oh. <laughs> I know. It's great, isn't it? And so um, now... It's the middle of the summer, and there's a dead fish in his golf bag. Now, at the time, my dad's a general manager of a Cadillac dealership, so he's driving a brand new fancy Cadillac, and he throws his clubs at the end in the trunk of his car where he leaves them all the time throughout the summer. And as he is driving around a couple of days, he begins to smell this smell, and he's going, what? something's wrong with my car. So he has a whole detail shop at the dealership. So he just gives his car to the detail guys. He goes, go clean up my car. There's something smells in my car. And they're like, okay. So what do they do? They take everything out of the trunk. They clean everything. They put everything back in the trunk, right? And this goes on for two months. No. And by the time they finally opened the golf bag and pulled out this fish, you couldn't even tell it was once a fish. 
That's what sapros means. That kind of stink. What he's saying is, words have power. And some words, not just the word themselves, but the way they're used, has the power to destroy. And you need to stay away from anything coming out of your mouth that in that way destroys. That golf bag had to be thrown away. There was no cleaning that up. It was done. Sapros. We need to be careful about what comes out of our mouth. Now, somebody may say something hurtful to you, right? I mean, really hurtful. Somebody says something really hurtful, whatever it is. They're, tr- they're in an argument. Somebody's mad. They're trying to hurt you, and they know which buttons to push, and they say something really hurtful. But what is your first thought? What can I say back, <laughs> Right? I am going to hit them back verbally, right? Oh, really? You want to, it's on. Okay, you want to do this? Let's do this. You're ugly. You know? You, and I may be... <laughs> what's, never mind. I'm not going to tell you that. We, we start jabbing people, right? Because somehow it feels like to us that when I have been hurt, it is appropriate to hurt back. But what does he say? Don't let any of this sapros stuff come out of your mouth. Instead, let it be according to the need of the moment to give grace to the other person. What better time to give grace to somebody than when somebody has just hurt you? And and yet, what do we typically do? It's like a little spark has started because they said something, there's a little flame, and we are hurt. So we go get our gas can, and we pour gasoline on the flame, and this big explosion takes place, right? And pretty soon, Things have been said that can never be taken back, and we have destroyed a relationship. That's Sepros. Just destroyed because of what came out of our mouths. James talks about this. Turn your Bibles to the book of James. It's toward the back, right after Hebrews. Go to James chapter 3. This is very apropos for us right now. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 5. And by the way, this is great homework assignment. Read James chapter 3 in your quiet times this week. Read the whole thing. The whole chapter is about the tongue. But here's what he says in verse 5. So also, the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life, and is set on fire by hell. Wow. Those are strong words. And, and, and very, very helpful for us right now. Because when we were here last Sunday, we were all choking on smoke, weren't we? Was that, that hillside back there was on fire, right? And some of you are here today who were evacuated from your homes, and these flames were right next to your house, Right? And we know that there was two fires that began. We know that the Azusa fire began with a car accident where the guy went over the edge and that caused the canyon to catch on fire. And from what I read as of yesterday, they still do not know what started the Duarte fire. I can tell you what started the Duarte fire. A spark. That's what starts every fire. Just a little spark. Might have been a piece of glass laying on the ground and the sun beating down on it to make a magnifying glass and that little bit of dry brush 
It could have, could have just been a spark from a car passing by. It could have been a cigarette thrown out a window. It could have been any of these kinds of things. Just a mindless, careless, no big deal. And we all watched as the mountains burned. Thousands of acres set on fire like that. He says, your tongue sets on fire people's lives. And where does it come from? It's set on fire by hell. He says, guys, watch your mouth. That same word, sapros, is that word that Jesus uses when he talks about there's good trees and there's bad trees, and a good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears sapros, bad fruit. The, the, the tree determines the fruit, he says. In fact, turn to Matthew chapter 12. We're just bouncing back and forth. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 33. Jesus has been talking about this good tree, bad tree thing. And look what he says. In verse 33 of Matthew 12, he says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out his good treasure, brings out of his good treasure what is good. The evil man man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an account for in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Every careless word, every careless cigarette butt thrown from the window of the car, you never gave another thought to, and it caught the whole hill on fire. He says you will be held accountable for this. You go, wow, maybe now I see why you're preaching on this. This is a big deal. This is a big deal to God. The things that come out of our mouths carelessly. And we'll give an account for it in the day of judgment. And he says, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. He's not saying that if you speak good words, you get to heaven, and if you speak bad words, you don't. What he's saying is a good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears sapros, bad fruit. And, and don't sit here with a tree full of bad fruit and tell me you're a good tree, Jesus says. Because the fruit gives you away. And part of that fruit is what comes out of your mouth. Now, look at verse 30. and Let's go back to Ephesians 4. And look at verse 30 and let's see the tie-in here. After talking about how we need to watch our mouths, he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He's saying it grieves God when we speak this way. You know, why would that be? Because if you're a Christian, you and the Lord have become one. And so whatever you say is a reflection on him. Wherever you go, you take him with you. We need to be serious about this. This is serious stuff. Now, when Jesus saves a person, that person is sealed by the Holy Spirit, and that's why verse 30 says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And yet, he's not saying that somehow you're working your way to your salvation. He's just saying that if you're saved, you will be changed. So let's watch our mouths. Now, now I'm going to say something right now that is going to mean nothing to some of you. Some of you will just go, that just doesn't apply to me. If that's so, just give me two minutes to talk about this because somebody needs to hear it. 
Some of you are going to hear what I'm about to say, and you're going to get mad and offended and go, who does he think he is telling me this? That's all right. I can live with that. But I got to tell you, and I've said this, something like this before. We as Christians, married to God, one with the Holy Spirit, the stuff we put on social media sometimes makes me want to cry. I see the hate, the disrespect, the, the flippancy, the profanity that, that we put on our Facebook accounts and our Twitter and our Instagram, all that kind of stuff. Guys, listen, if Paul was writing this letter today, he might not write, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. He might write, let no unwholesome word proceed from your keyboard. Because that's where we do most of our talking. And it's really easy to be brave when you're sitting behind a keyboard and say stuff that is highly offensive. And you're, all you're doing is giving your, your opinion and all of that kind of stuff. And you are hurting people with the things that you are saying. And you don't even think twice about it. And what I'm saying, guys, is that we are the family of God. What we say, whether it comes out of our mouth or comes out of our keyboard, needs to honor God. Because you know what? We're all in this together, and if you act like a fool, I look like a fool. Does that make sense? We need to be careful. Whether we're saying it or whether we're writing it, however it's coming out. But there's more. Let's wrap it up with this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. These are two of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. I love this passage. And I wish I had a ton of time to talk about it, but I don't. So let me just give you the gist of it. Remember I said, as we're wrapping up chapter 4, what he's basically saying is, guys, it is possible for you to live this way because of the Holy Spirit. It is possible. Get a new vision. Realize you can live a different way. Because when we look at these words in verses 30, look at verse 31, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. Man, that's quite a list, isn't it? And, 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 and I've said this before, but think about this. Um, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I think I'll be malicious today. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know what? Today would be a great day for bitterness. I think I just want to be bitter today, right? Why do we become bitter why do we become slanderous? Why do we become angry and filled with rage? Why? Because somebody did something to us, right? It, it's, it's not my fault I'm bitter. It's his fault I'm bitter. He's the one who mistreated me, right? And whether it's the guy that cut me off on the freeway and now I'm acting a fool because of him, that's not my fault. That's his fault, right? I didn't get up and say I'm going to act a fool today, but that guy cut me off and he set me off. Sorry, that's his fault. What God is saying to us is that those things, anger, bitterness, slander, all of that stuff, it is our responsibility to put those things away. This is part of that whole put off, put on thing that we've been seeing in chapter four. And he goes, put those things away. Now, when you see that, you, you can take it one of two ways. The bad news is you're accountable for this. A, a holy God cannot command you to do something that he does not enable you to do, Right? If it were impossible, he wouldn't command it. We saw that in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So he is commanding us to put these things aside. You know what? That means you're accountable for it. Just like you said, you're going to give an account for every word that comes out of your mouth. You're going to give an account for your bitterness. You're going to give an account for your slang. Go, wait a minute. I don't want to be bitter. 
I didn't choose to be bitter. And God says, I beg to differ. You didn't choose to be hurt. Maybe someone abused you. Maybe you have scar tissue because of the way you have been treated. But the bitterness, that's on you. You choose it. And what's the antidote to choosing bitterness? He gives it to us in verse 31. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving. You don't want to be bitter anymore? Forgive. You go, wait a second, that's not, it's not that easy. I didn't say it was easy. I said it's possible. In Christ, it's possible. You don't have to live with bitterness anymore. You have the choice to forgive. Now, the bad news is you're accountable. He's not going to let you go, listen, I lived my whole life bitter because when I was seven, my uncle abused me. So, so I'm off the hook. It's my uncle's fault. He's going to say, no, the abuse is your uncle's fault. The bitterness is yours. Okay? You're going to give an account for that. By the same token, that's the bad news. Here's the good news. It doesn't just mean you're accountable. It means you're not stuck. It means you don't have to live in this cage anymore. It means you can be set free, and you don't have to wait for some miraculous intervention to be set free. God has already given you His Spirit the ability to forgive. You get to forgive. And I'm, I, I'm so uh, frustrated because the enemy has done such a job on us that there's so many Christians who are in a cell of bitterness looking through the, through the bars like this going, I want out, I want out. And they're holding in their hand the key that opens a cell door and the key is forgiveness and they think they can't forgive. Well, he never asked for forgiveness. How am I going to forgive him? He already died. How can I possibly? He's never going to make it right. I didn't say he's going to make it right. God worries with that. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. But you can forgive. And if you don't, you will leave yourself in the cage forever. That is the opposite of the abundant life. You guys, you can do this. Because of Christ, you can do this. It is possible to live this way. But let me just add this last disclaimer and we'll close. It's only possible with Jesus. If you're here investigating the claims of Christ, you're not so sure about the Jesus thing or, or you've been flirting with God and you've been coming to church but you really haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, listen, I'm just being honest with you. The kind of power that it takes to live this way, it doesn't exist within us. It only comes when he transforms us. So the answer to this is not try harder, work harder, go on a program, take a, go to a counselor, go to a yoga class, meditate. None of those things is the answer. The answer is very simple. Surrender. I just have to surrender. I just have to say, Lord, you get to be Lord. I'll let you worry about my offenses. I'm going to forgive. He says, just in case we're thinking, I, I don't think it's fair to ask me to forgive. He goes, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Is that fair? No. It's not fair that Jesus paid the price for your sin when you deserve to. It's not about fairness. It's about grace. And he says, we can be people who spill out grace upon other people, but only if we have Jesus. We need to surrender. For those of us who will live a life of surrender, get ready for an amazing adventure because God transforms your life moment by moment, day by day, issue by issue. Amen?